0: and welcome back to this week's episode of The Higher Ed Shift. We're going to hear from another industry voice, this time in enrollment management. I got a chance to catch up with Brent Schock and think you'll enjoy his insights. As Vice President for Enrollment Management and Student Success at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, he provides leadership to the offices of admissions, bursar, student success, student financial assistance, and the one-stop shop. In addition to ensuring compliance with awarding of federal, state and university aid programs, he works closely with senior leadership to ensure that enrollment and student persistence goals for the university are met. Breton began his career in Miami's financial aid office in 1992 and served as a counselor, assistant director for student employment, and an associate and senior associate director of systems prior to his current role. Brendan and I talk about the important role that financial aid plays in maintaining enrollment and outcome goals for the university. We also discuss his transition from financial aid to enrollment management, how the university has empowered employees to help students facing challenges via the Disney model, and the tactical approaches that Miami University has implemented to ensure there is less friction in the financing process. Please join us in our conversation now.
1: Hello, my name is Amy. I'm the VP of Student Financial Success at Campus Logic. And today we're taking a couple of minutes to sit down and chat with Brent Schock, who's the Vice President of Enrollment Management and Student Success at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Thanks for making time today, Brent.
2: My pleasure. It's great to be with you.
1: Cool. At Campus Logic, we just love to connect with others that are impacting higher education, financial aid, and are passionate about they do, what they do. Um, you have an incredibly long, I don't want to say incredibly long, you have a tenured career at a singular university, which is pretty unique um, in, in helping students navigate their college journey. Can you tell us a bit about your background?
2: I uh, started in the financial aid profession in uh, September of 1992, when I was hired on in the financial aid office as a temporary employee. And I was hired to back uh, to do processing of uh a backlog of federal Pell grants, and uh, this is back before computers, and uh, back before um, you, uh, the FAFSA, actually. And I had to circle in or bubble in Pell amounts on the paper student aid report and ship those to the U.S. Department of Education. And that three-week stint turned into nearly thirty years. I've had the opportunity uh, throughout my career at Miami to do a variety of different uh, uh, positions within the financial aid office. I was a initially hired as a a financial aid counselor and then moved into um, the systems area of the office where I I worked on a team of people to implement the uh, direct lending program. We were a year two school uh, when we implemented uh, direct lending and then eventually hung around long enough to uh, implement the banner system and then uh, eventually uh, became interim director, uh, then director, and, and now I serve as you said the vice president of enrollment management, and student success at Miami. So I've done a little bit of it all, in, in financial aid along the way, I spent some time on on retention and graduation uh, initiatives at our university. And now I oversee the enrollment management to career career outcomes at, at our university.
1: You know, given given the amount of time and the changes that you've been in the industry, do you miss hand calking Pell and EFSs? you know
2: um we make we actually make our staff do a hand calculation once a year just because i think it's really important to see the to see the formula and actually the most interesting thing i we ever did was take the hand calculation to um, our emissions folks and show them how it works and uh so um no i don't i don't miss it uh because i'm never right i have to check uh my work all the way through but um it's it's, it's interesting nonetheless the changes have there have been lots of changes over the years of course
1: there have been. And you know, it's always what is what is old is new again, right? Like people people are kind of in awe of the student aid index, right? Moving from the EFC to the student aid index. And I'm like, that's what it was before.
2: Yes. That's right. No change.
1: <laughs> We've been here before. Yeah, that's um, right. It's interesting when you kind of hit that threshold in the industry where you where you start to realize, oh wait, I've seen this before.
2: Yes, <laughs> and 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 scary because if it didn't work before and the ideas come back around, you're like, I don't know about this. So
1: that is a whole other discussion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so when I hear you talking about kind of your trajectory, um, it's not that common for us to see people move from an aid administrator into a senior enrollment position. How did that kind of happen for you? And and what advice do you have for those who may be considering a similar path?
2: So it didn't, it wasn't uh, certainly just like financial aid, no one sets out in financial aid to stay, to become a director of financial aid or even to work in financial aid. Almost everyone Almost everyone falls into financial aid in some way, shape, or form, and and we joke in our office that it's the black hole that once you fall in, it's like light you don't come back out. Um, (laughs) So we, um, you know, it was a bit organic. Um, I had had the opportunity um, to see Miami's transformation up front. We went from you know very much a siloed emissions financial aid office and operations to an enrollment management that grew from uh, emissions and financial aid and registrar to include uh, student success efforts, and uh, career, um, and um, other offices, bursar's office, actually, which is a little unusual. And so I'd had, I'd had the opportunity to witness that um, that change. And I saw the uh, upfront, I saw the impact that it had on the university when you start to bring together those services and you put them together in a way that is focused on not only the student experience coming in and recruiting them in, but their student, student experience while they're on campus, and then preparing them and getting them out the door uh, in graduation. So that I think was the first part of it. The second thing is I had the opportunity to partner with uh, the National Association of Student Financial Aid Administrators. I, I worked on um, the inaugural um, leadership committee that they had for, uh, uh, they set up to help financial aid professionals see themselves as a possible, uh, a possible track into enrollment management. Mm-hmm. And so I had that, that benefit was there. And then you, um, you hang around a place long enough and eventually opportunities come your way. And that's really, really what happened here. I'm not sure I would have gone out looking for an enrollment management position, uh, but this one opened up and I was asked to consider it by our leadership here at Miami and I did. Do you
1: think, what advantage do you think you maybe have over, over peers because of, because of your background in financial aid?
2: Well, I think I do think that financial aid professionals are uniquely um, have the unique perspective on on enrollment management. I think that um, more so than maybe the admissions side, they understand the hurdles that many families face as uh, they make college decisions. Um, so uh, it's one thing to position the university for all of its strengths, um, uh, their, their curricular strengths, and outcomes. It's another to also um, be part of that and also working oftentimes with families one on one as they. Work to figure out a way to pay for to pay for our college, and ultimately having the uh, difficult conversations sometimes that say, you know, you're, this is the best place for you, but financially this may not be the best place for you. You know, academically you're well suited; you can you can survive and thrive here, but financially it may not be. And so, I think that perspective helps sort of keep keep you a little keep you a little bit grounded. I think that um, I think that the necessary skills today for enrollment manager, which include a lots of budgeting and a deep understanding of net tuition revenue and the value of education uh, which we financial aid offices have really been equipped to have that conversation because it becomes so important as they think about uh, loans and other other uh, types of financially also help uh, help position you uh, for for future growth in enrollment management enrollment management um, uh, field
1: yeah, you know, I think that's I, I think what you said really, really struck a chord with me, Ray, right? because one of one of the things that a lot of aid administrators and aid offices in general struggle with is being granted the ability or the authority to have those conversations about, you know, the the financial fit or the financial match of, of a student to an institution. Um, so how do you kind of go about explaining to the other constituents at the university how important it is to have those conversations?
2: I think first and foremost, you have to to explain it uh, a couple of ways. One, I think if the student is going to struggle in the first year financially, then obviously they're going to struggle all four years. And that that becomes a retention risk or retention issue. And no one on on any campus feels good about students graduating with uh, high levels of debt. Um, and as you know, in your work, uh, that there's not a lot that financial aid offices can do to control student borrowing. We can inform, we can counsel, but we can't obviously deny or uh, keep keep uh, people from borrowing. And so I, I think those two facets kind of help frame that, frame that issue a little bit for, for um, upper management. It, you know, that uh, in this culture right now, in this higher ed culture, in which I would say that there's lots of uh, media scrutiny on, uh, the return on investment. and we're we're having to we've I think that higher ed has in some ways lost or seeded the argument to the easy and media story which asks the question, is, is college worth it anymore? And the answer is it is, absolutely it is, but we've sort of lost the ability. I think we're getting better, but for a while, we lost the ability to say, yes, we are, and here's why. And so I think those are all important factors when you think about that conversation. And it's I think that uh, at most institutions, when you frame it like that and you say, look, this is the short-term and the long-term, uh, outcome possibilities. I think it's an easy win to be able to get to that point where you can have those conversations. And now it's another thing to be able to get staff on, the, on board and train them well to, to be sensitive in how you say that. And I'll be honest and say that I've had plenty of those conversations with families over the years and they almost all end up enrolling. Uh, they don't often, it's very tough to, you know, see see that for themselves in many cases. But nonetheless, I think it's important to have, and it only lends, lends uh, credence and credibility to to our institutions and to higher ed in general.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's that's really true. And to your point, right? Like, uh, so we know that 50% of students drop out due to financial reasons. Yet, often when we talk about student success it's really, it's viewed and it's invested from an academic lens, mm-hmm. right? And so, but I think there's there's so many wraparound services that are focused on academics. And and I know you guys have done, you talk about kind of pulling all of these departments, including bursars together under, mm-hmm. under one umbrella. Um, so how do we, how do other colleges do a better job in bringing financing discussion and the the financial difficulties that students face into the student success, the broader student success narrative and initiative.
2: Yeah, so I think this is really important. And this is an area where I think um, uh, financial aid uh, professionals can have some influence, should have some influence, can have influence, and can have, make a very positive impact on their institutions. And I see this happening a couple of different ways. First, in, in my experience, when a student presents to an academic advisor um, struggling academically, there's that's not often the only issue that's going on. In other words, there's almost always... Other ancillary issues that are there. They may not be explored, they may be beneath the surface. And I think sometimes, truthfully, students may not even be aware of them all, but they're there. And um, if if we're doing our jobs um, and if academic advisors are doing their jobs, they'll uncover some of that. And what we find is that what, what we often find being uncovered is that there is um, sometimes a health issue, um, maybe it's uh, physical or mental um, health. It could also but oftentimes there's it's it can also be a financial issue and um and so what goes what oftentimes goes from a um i'm not doing well in course xyz becomes i'm not doing well in course xyz because i couldn't get the book in time or or i'm worried about next semester or even in rare cases but not uncommon you know i'm i have some uh, food insecurity or i have some housing insecurity And so one of the things that we did at Miami five or six years ago um, is develop what we call the Student Success Office. And it's designed not to take the place of the professional academic advisor, but rather supplement that. And that office has become, I I call it sort of an ombudsman to the rest of campus. And we um, have the ability, professors have the ability to a route, a form to either the Dean of Students or to the Student Success Office that says, I have a concern about student XYZ. And maybe it's financial, maybe it's academic, maybe it's um, physical or emotional, Um, but we have the the ability to to do that. And then on top of that, this office is sort of a hub, the Student Success Office is sort of a hub around the bursar, the one-stop, the financial light around academic advising. And they are really well positioned to try to meet the needs of uh, students, even if they can't do them themselves, they are there to get the student into that next level of care or next triage, if you will. And so one of the things that I think can happen for financial aid professionals is that they can really uh, work to arm that person or those persons to be ready to handle those questions, either with some training. Um, in, in our case, we um, we, um don't want you always want to preserve the dignity of our students, and so it takes a lot of courage to raise your hand and say, "I'm struggling with something. Yeah. I'm struggling with food insecurity, or I can't afford to add any more dining dollars to my account this semester." And so those folks actually have the ability, uh, in some cases, to fix those issues on the spot. I I liken it I liken it to Walt Disney World, where their um, their cast members, when they see a student, uh, they see a young child drop an ice cream cone. Any cast member can go to the neck, go up to one of the eateries, and say, "I saw this." They'll get a new ice cream cone and take it and give it to the family. They don't have to ask; they don't have to get permission. And so, our student success center can add dining points to people that come out of a central fund. Um, they have the ability to award some small book grants if they need. Um, of course, there are issues about you know auditing and making sure that all goes well. We we handle that all on the back end, but it's really important that. Those folks, those frontline folks, even if you don't have a one-stop, even if you don't have it, if you're sitting in the financial aid office, I would say it's really important that your frontline folks have the ability to do a quick SWAT at those immediate needs as they present themselves, uh, in order to move quickly and um, and preserve the dignity of our students.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's really great, and and I mean, what you're describing to me is. An institution that very thoughtfully has identified some tools and some resources that truly empower those individuals um, to to make a difference and an impact immediately on the student's life. Because you're right, it's 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 hard for any of us to um, let someone know that we're we're facing mm-hmm. financial difficulties, right? And and sometimes just the nature of the financial aid process feels like people are digging into your your personal and your financial mm-hmm. life, right? And and so I, I like that approach around um, retaining dignity for the students who are asking for that help. I like that. Um, so when we talk about Financing the 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 program kind of more on on the front end. It's just it's so stressful. You know, I know that you were were a, a first generation student as as well, and and kind of have a, a personal story as well about how difficult that process can be. What's like the single most important thing that we can do to make the financing journey better for students, so that we yes. start having like these horror stories generationally now. About how bad the financing process is
2: yeah well uh that's that's uh that's a, a big question so let me see if i can give you <laughs> give you a couple if I could solve that problem uh, No, let me give you let, let me give you a couple of, of uh, quick thoughts that i that I have on that um i think i think first um, uh, i'll speak to the i'll speak to financial aid directors or people that are interested in moving up in in the financial aid profession i i think that it's tough in this uh, in this line of work to maintain uh, a freshness about your answers right so we it might be the 50th time today that you've had to explain the expected family contribution to somebody or that you have to explain you know you can borrow this amount uh, in your first year this amount in the second year um, but for everyone that we're talking to it's the first time they heard it and they've heard it more than likely and so coming at it with that um, uh, compassion is important, and I think as managers in financial aid office, to the extent, and I, I know resources are tight, but to the extent that we're able, we need to think about ways that we can shift our staff and move our staff around so that they're, for those people that are in the front lines or have a break and they can have some time to recharge and do something that they professionally rewarding. I think that's actually important. I think that I think that's important. So making sure that mm-hmm. we don't become the message that we're trying to deliver doesn't get lost in the way that, that we that we um, that we deliver it. I still f- see that in many cases we're having to overcome some misconceptions about about uh, about financial aid. You know, we've uh, when I started uh in 1992 people couldn't borrow enough they they love they wanted the extra refund to pay for their housing and now the shift has been i don't want to borrow i don't want to borrow and so we've actually shifted our tact and say look we agree that borrowing um is not ideal but it's important and we've had a time or two with students where we've had to sit down and say you know if you borrowed this and cut out cut back on your work you could take a few more credit hours graduate earlier and it's actually going to Speed your time to degree, which will actually increase your earning power, which will actually probably bring you out ahead financially in the end. Yeah. Than slowing down, and so it's it's a nuance it's a nuanced message today more than more than uh, more than ever before. I think uh, so. I think that's sort of that is sort of uh, number two, and then I think number three is that um, you know institutions have to be willing to uh, understand, and I think many institutions do now that their students are coming at, and parents are coming at. Them that are they're less financially savvy than I think many parents and students have been in the past, and like every other institution, we see students that don't understand basic terms. Um, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure that for many students, balancing a checkbook is not the thing anymore because it's all online. But there's still a balancing thing that you have to do, and so you know, standing up some resources, working with student life or student affairs on your campus to provide some financial um, education, financial literacy. I think is also important.
1: Yeah, you touched on so much in there that I love, but let's talk a little bit about kind of the misconceptions, right? So I'm a former aid administrator myself, and we all know that financial aid has lots of rules that we need to follow from the federal government to the state to our creditor to our sports regulations. And this can sometimes cause a misperception about our desire and willingness to help students, right? And we, mm-hmm. we all do. That's why we're in financial aid is to help students succeed academically and financially. But with every student's circumstances being different, how do you navigate and prevent the, these misconceptions? And it's kind of a twofold question. Like one would students, too equally as important with, with your colleagues or peers within the Miami community.
2: Yeah. So I think I think it's very easy for financial aid offices and for financial aid professionals, and I'll say specifically for financial aid directors to be uh, misconstrued or labeled as Mr. or Mrs. No or mm-hmm. the office of no. And, and it is absolutely true, like we have federal and state regulations that we have to abide by. But I think with a small shift, you can, you can say, this may be true, but this is also true. and that we might not be able to do that for you, but let's think about an alternative solution. And I think that that also gets at um, and the importance of a reputation building of the aid office you know largely will fall to the director and the leadership of the office but building the reputation to the campus community is important. If you are seen as a office that, takes time with students and listens to them. And if you, if you are fortunate enough that you convince your administration to set aside some funds for some emergency assistance, you can quickly, within a short period of time, change the reputation within the administration that you are there to support and help and meet the students' needs. And so that when you have to say no, because when their request is so egregious um, we, see, we do see those every year, obviously from students or parents, when it's just not possible, the request or the demand that they're making is not possible, people know that you have gone the full distance with that student or with their family and that um, you have exhausted all resources. And that is that. I think that's, I think that's, um, I think that is a really important um, part of our jobs. And um, we absolutely have to maintain our integrity, have to maintain the integrity of the institution by uh, by, uh, abiding to and living within the federal and state regulations that we have to live within. But within that, there's a lot of room to say yes. And I would encourage aid administrators and professionals to look for the opportunities to say yes and change your perception. And it's a whole lot more fun.
1: Totally is. And and I you're you're so right on right. What people sometimes miss is the power in understanding the regulations really well isn't the power to say no, but it's to understand them well enough to be able to find the gray and to find a way to say yes. So so I think that's that's totally true. Let's talk about your the the university graduation rate for for a minute. Um mm-hmm. incredibly impressive at 82.2%. Mm-hmm. Um it tells me, you know, obviously you guys are succeeding at so many things, but given the number of students that we see drop out each year for financial challenges, you guys have gotten in front of this. And I know you've you've talked a little bit about the success advocates. Um, in addition to that, is there something else that you guys are just doing differently than others?
2: I would say the answer is no. But I would say that we work really hard to be consistent at what we're doing. Um, so I would argue that every idea that we've put in place, we found somewhere else. We we saw someone else doing it. We read about it somewhere else. Um, I would say that um, while we think, well, we know that many of our uh, approaches might be innovative the, at the baseline of what we're doing, it's the tried and true. And so, you know, a few a few examples that I think have worked really really well for us um is in uh we you know uh, like many institutions we're looking at micro grants pretty carefully and um but we took it one step further so rather than just someone sitting down with a list of students that owe us money we start we formed a small committee and each um each uh start of our term we are very traditional we have two fall and spring semester Mm -hmm. each start of our fall and spring semester we have a a small committee of about 10 or 15 people that is. Folks from enrollment, uh, the bursars office, student life, residence life, um, our our business and finance office, we meet ev- uh, for about fifteen minutes every morning, and we look at our list of unpaid students, and we devise an outreach to those students. And so we're we're bringing together all these folks that have an interest in student success. The business office who's looking at the net tuition revenue, the residence life who are working with these students as they live in in the residence halls. Um, Our bursar's office, who is the ones making the calls or emailing, um, registrar, financial aid, uh, one stop. We're all at the table together and we spend 15 minutes to half an hour, um, Monday through Friday for the first two weeks of the term, doing nothing but strategizing. And we're to the point now where we have our strategy sort of outlined, but now we're coming in, we're tweaking it will say, well, today, this is a group of students that we see there's some softness in paying, or we're really concerned about this. And you, even though we have um, 16,000 undergraduates another 1,800 or so graduate students, you'd be surprised at what people know about some of those individual cases on on that list. And so we found that to be a really effective way to, to, um, to, uh, to reach out to students. We're not afraid to call. We're not afraid to uh, within the confines of law we use text to drive people to their email addresses mm-hmm. to check for important messages from us we're, we're not afraid to change up a message we're not afraid to to experiment with subject lines of text messages or that first sort of golden little spot on the email that only shows on your phone and really working to drive rates there and then and then from there we then start to bring in well, Let's see what we can do with a micro grant. What can we do here with a university-based long-term loan from a donor? Mm-hmm. What what other resources can we do? What about the emergency fund? Is there an opportunity there? And so then we then we then we work from work from there. And um, I think that has actually moved the dial. You can look at what we were doing. You know, it was not uncommon for us five or six years to go to to cancel um, a couple of hundred people a semester for non-payment. That number, even in the midst of this pandemic, this for the spring was was fewer than 50. And so um, so it's so I think that's really moved the dial for us. And so I think you take what you what you know is a best practice, but then think about what could work better at your institution or what can you, how can you package it up a little bit differently at your institution and then take that and bring that success to to drive it on home.
1: You know, for 15, 30 minutes a day sounds like. Sounds like amazing results, right? Like you can't, you can't ask for for anything better than to to spend that that small amount of time and and have such a relatively large impact on on students' ability to stay in school. You know, a lot of what you've talked about is kind of is not kind of, it is communication. And so with your enrollment hat and not your financial aid hat on, what after a student gets admitted to Miami? Like, what is the most difficult communication process that that takes place before they actually sit in class?
2: You know, I I still think that honestly some of the most difficult pieces of communication are, are the pieces around finalizing your financial aid because it's it's complex and um and you know you think about the the verification process for example and uh, you know if something is not right there getting that communicated well to a family can be can be difficult. Um, and, I, and I think that we, uh, honestly, I think that we've really re- over relied, even though email is the traditional form of communication now, I think we over rely on that sometimes. And, and you can honestly fix a problem by picking up the phone and calling it sometimes so much more uh, quickly than you could just then email after email, or even text message after text message. I mean, you know, we've preserved, we've preserved text message, messaging at Miami for, really important situations and so because I don't want it to become another email and um, and so sometimes we'll call instead, so I think I think communication around finalizing your financial aid. um, is is important, I think helping students understand important academic deadline and dates is really Mm -hmm. is really important and there's a lot of good literature out there about ways that you can increase your message uptake. By 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 uh, fussing with your subject line or the first few sentences of uh, of an email, and if you've not looked for those, you know I would really encourage folks to do that. It can I think can can change the game. Those are two that come to mind. Bills are another one as well. Uh, you know, families' finances are all over the place. There's a lot going on. We it's you know we uh, higher ed is still unusual in that we're asking people that to pay you know a large chunk of change twice a year within a window of about four to six weeks, even though they know it's coming, it's not still not in front of them until, you know, orientation is over and classes begin, you know, four yeah. or six weeks later. So that part is still really hard, I think, as well. Uh, but there are ways to, to move that forward with the right, with the right messaging, I think.
1: Obviously, I totally agree with you, right? Like the reality doesn't sit in until the bill is in someone's hands for some mm-hmm. reason, no matter how many times we have those conversations, and your your advice around communication is is so important. I think for aid administrators to hear, right? Because if if we're the ones sending out those communications, verification award notices, right? Like there there needs to be a little professional development there about good marketing if you will marketing type strategies right know what's above the fold know what's below the fold Mm -hmm. what what subject line is is actually getting someone to open my my email um, Mm -hmm. and not just not just pass by Um, and and those are those are really good things for us to consider in the industry to to better impact or have better impact on on student next steps If you could have a magic wand and like fix the student aid system, like what's your, what's your aspirational wish for, for student aid? How would you like to see it evolve uh, in the coming years?
2: So I'm, I'm pretty excited about some of the FAFSA uh, simplification pieces that were just passed in legislation in in December. I'm excited to see those roll out. I mean, in my time, the IRS, um, uh, data share has been huge. That, although mm-hmm. took forever to get there, and it's certainly not been the smoothest of rollouts. It's still pretty remarkable where we're at and uh, what what's done there. You know, I, I we were, Miami, Miami University was one of the uh, quality assurance schools. So if you think back to when that was a place, that was a program where schools were exempt from the federal verification yeah. requirements and could design their own verification requirements. And we had a lot of success with that. We could show year over year how we were saving the federal government and federal taxpayers money by our verification versus utilizing the feds. And there was a lot within that community, there was a tight-knit community of schools. There were a lot of great things that schools learned and were sharing. And the idea was that they'd be shared back with the Department of Ed. But when they did away with that and uh, brought verification back for everybody, it was like they didn't learn anything from all the years that we were there. And so that was a step backwards and a really disappointment. There are a lot of things that you could do there, including um, you know, saying I'm not going to verify this group of students, like for example, auto zero because it just mm-hmm. doesn't matter, doesn't move the dial. So there's yeah. there's opportunity there for the feds to make some differences. I, I think I think more broadly than that, I think moving Pell to a, a true entitlement piece where it's funded 100 uh, um, uh, every every year um, would be would be would be a huge. I think that would take some of the pressure off of uh, off of the out. Uh, 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 congressional action that has to happen every year um i think um no nowhere else in this world are you currently paying origination fees um, i think it's time to end origination fees on loans um, it's schools have shown that they can work to bring down default rates and um, which are not a great measure anyway uh, so i think i think uh, ending origination fees is just useless and costs students money that it does not does not. Uh, need to cost, and then I think there are way too many repayment plans for federal loans. And I think simplifying that process, including some automatic provisions where if you fall behind, you're automatically registered for one of the repayment plans, would be would go a long way to fixing fixing uh, fixing some of. Uh, some, of, some of these issues. So I think if you thought about all of those with the fastest implication that's coming through and I'm confident it's gonna get better over time, um, I think we could see a really a much improved aid delivery system.
1: I totally agree that simplification all the way around in um, the, the delivery system, the application delivery and repayment of, of aid is, is definitely something that we need to do. And personally, I get a little frustrated that every time we get federal legislation to simplify things, it becomes a lot more complicated. Let's give you a couple of minutes to brag. What have you been a part of at Miami that you are most proud of?
2: You know, I I still think at the end of the day, you know, I hope uh, aid administrators know that they can move the dial, but um, I think that what matters at the, at the very end of it all is the individual folks that you've touched and so I'm, I'm, old, I'm old enough and in this profession long enough to be jaded when people say I'm in this profession to help people because um, I don't think that will sustain you for the long haul, but um, it is true that we have a unique opportunity to help people at a time when many are so most vulnerable. And so honestly, I would count it to one or two students that have come back to me over the years and said, you were at the front desk. I came in on the third week of the term and saying to you, I was going to withdraw and you pulled me inside and said, what's really going on? And then we talked about it and then you connected me and we did this. And now I am, here I am four years later and I'm graduating. That I think, you know, it's those. It really is uh, about those those individual people. If you can keep the individual in mind and still put in play some of the other strategies, and you and you think about those outcomes, then I think you're in for a very rewarding and fulfilling uh, career. And um, I don't know what I don't know what uh, people will remember me for at Miami. I hope what they remember me for is a person who was effective and kind hearted. And who uh, always kept in mind the individual student, even if it wasn't always the outcome that that people wanted.
1: Those personal connections are are so powerful. They are so important for all of us to keep in mind, especially as our institutions try and and generate more scalability. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to your point, right? I you you mentioned earlier um, resources, right? And and so as as we look at budgets and and scarcity of resources, sometimes just figuring out how to do things better and smarter so that we have time for those personal connections and interactions where where needed and appropriate is life changing to to individuals both both myself like as a professional and as the students, I think that that I've been able to help. So what's still on your bucket list? What's your next big project or what's your next big thing at Miami that you want to accomplish?
2: I would love to see us get to a 95 percent retention rate. I think we can be there in a few years we're at 90 91 depending on depending on the year I think I think I think that would be ideal if we could if we could get there. Um, I as I um, mentioned, um, that you know I, I love coming to a place, working at a place where I can see every year over year that the students that we're turning out are on to making a positive difference for themselves, for their families, for their communities, and that eventually changes the world. So I, I think you know seeing more students succeed is, is really important. and even if that's helping them see that maybe, they can do better at another institution. I'm, I'm fine with that. Like it really, uh, it's, the, it's the student success that I think I think matters. That I think, that I think is there. You know, I, I'm by, by heart, based on my background in financial and systems guy, I spent a lot of time in the systems area of financial aid. So I like seeing, not computer systems, but I like seeing systems and efficiencies improve. And if I can leave with one or two of those in a better shape for someone to come along and re-engineer, five or 10 years when it's not working so well anymore, um, I'll be very happy.
1: That's great, thanks for sharing that, I appreciate it. I just wanna thank you so much for your time today. This conversation has been a complete pleasure, which is so nice to be able to say. Um, and I think that you've, you've shared so much, some great insights. I know you've been incredibly active in the aid community and and sharing those insights with people about how you've transitioned. Um, into enrollment, if if someone listening or watching should want to kind of read more about you or connect with you, where could, where could they go to do that?
2: So I'm on LinkedIn. You can look for me, look, look for me on LinkedIn. You can check, I don't, I don't really tweet much about work stuff, but if you want to connect to me via Twitter, shock, shock BL, B as in Boyle as in lane, you can look for me there. Um, or you can uh, search uh, Miami University and, and you'll see my information. And you can contact, contact me via phone or email there as
1: well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for your time. This was really a pleasure.
2: Thank you so much.